This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Happy Tuesday, Memphis, and welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis on this Valentine's Day. This is your host, Anna Thompson, otherwise known as AT, and I have the one and only original co-host of Meanwhile in Memphis in the studio today. Say hello. I was like, good morning, everyone. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, it's been a minute since I've since I've joined you on the podcast, but I did not want to miss this one because an old friend of mine uh, was coming by the studio and I wanted to... Uh, Get his perspectives and uh, make him let him make me laugh. So today we have uh, a tenured Memphis journalist, lead sports columnist for the Daily Memphian, the one and only Jeff Calkins will be yes. here in the studio today. He is the host of the Jeff Calkins Show, which airs Wednesday weekdays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 92.9 ESPN. He's also the author of the 2016 book After the Jump. It's a compilation of his of some of his columns over the years. Um, so he's fantastic. We're going to have a, a conversation today about. Um, sports, uh, you know, lean in <laughs> to what your guests you know, Yeah, but also, you know, really looking at the intersection of sports and city building and how, you know, what role sports play in our city um, here in Memphis um, and bringing people together in helping drive economic growth, helping drive the the city's awareness and brand outside of our city borders. Um, and then just also thinking about um, his journey here in Memphis to Memphis, why he's here, why he stays here. Um, so we've got a, a good conversation, I think, uh, in store for you. Should we just get right to it? Yeah, um, I will say that this is the perfect guest for today because he's talking about all the reasons to love Memphis. <laughs> I was about to make a kissy noise and then I was like, that would be so weird. You're welcome, Memphis, for not doing that. You're welcome. But yes, yeah, so but now, we love you. Now to our conversation with Jeff Calkins. Welcome, Jeff, to our studio today. How are you? I'm good. It's a very glamorous studio, too. Oh, nice exposed yeah. brick and all of that. Thanks. We try. Beautiful to look at. Terrible yeah. for sound quality. <laughs> we do what we can. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you are one of our only guests, if I'm not mistaken, that has a theme song with your name in it. Was yeah, that, that was. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't uh, order that up or anything. There was a listener um, to the radio show who decided to 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 write a theme song called Jeff Calkins. Jeff Calkins, basically. Can you sing and it so, right now? No, I, I cannot, <laughs> and, I, and I will not. Um, but yeah, I don't play it on my show. Jason and John, who have the uh, show after mine, they play it to introduce me, but that's the only time it now is aired. But yes, I have my own theme song. <laughs> Very few through people. No fault, <laughs> through no fault of my own. I used to have my sandwich, and that was a great sadness because Republic Coffee uh, was... Was on the it's on Walt was on the Walnut Grove right across from the library, and I loved Republic Coffee because mm -hmm. it was you could spread out and there are more coffee shops now where I think we, we're actually rich in coffee shops it feels like as a community but we didn't used to be and that was one where you could spread out and then I kept ordering this one sandwich it was it was uh, a basically. Uh, Sam lox. It was lox, a bagel and lox and an everything bagel and whatever else. And one day I got in there and they said, aren't you going to order your sandwich? I said, what? It used to be called the Ahab. And they renamed it the Calkins. And, uh, and that was really, I'd made it at that point. I was going to say that's how you that, know. That plus my name, plus at one point my face was on the side of a bus. That I sent to my mother, the picture. <laughs> As you um, should. And, uh, but yeah, no buses anymore, no sandwich anymore. I have a theme song. I'm, things are 
spiraling downward. No. no. You know you've right. made it because you're on this podcast now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Yeah, I should have been. Exactly. <laughs> no, but um, so among many things, you are a sports writer. Right. And you have been across the globe covering a multitude of sports, including Super Bowl, the Masters, World Series, um, and you proudly cover Memphis sports. Correct. Just as passionately as you do yeah. those big name sports. Well, it's, I mean, some of that is, there are two aspects to that. One is the newspaper business has changed dramatically. So once upon a time, when I was a commercial, when I was the sports columnist for the commercial appeal, if you wanted to read about the Olympics, it was because the commercial appeal covered the Olympics. Like we didn't, there was no internet. And so, um, so they'd send people, you could, you could get the Associated Press story to run in the physical commercial appeal, but they would send me everywhere. And newspapers were loaded because if you wanted to, buy a house or sell a house, or if you wanted to get a job, you had to advertise in the newspapers or whatever else. So we had 250 journalists and 250,000 subscribers, and I covered eight Olympics, and it was wonderful, and Super Bowls and everything else. Um, and so some of that was just the function of news, local newspapers was different. Now, at the Daily Memphian, and honestly, if I were still at the Commercial Appeal, it's pretty much a purely local gig. You focus on the one thing that the rest of the world doesn't focus on. Um, but then, apart from that, and I tell people this all the time, I care much more about Memphis now than I do about sports. And some of that's caring about Memphis sports, but some of it's just caring about Memphis generally. Um, having been to, you know, covered 25 years of Memphis Tiger football games, um, I still care about Memphis Tiger football, but I care much more about the community and the people in it and the future and all of that than I do um, you know, who's going to be the right guard this, office, or this, this coming season. So I'd love to, to sort of talk more about that. I mean, I think anybody that listens to your programs or reads your column understand that you are a, a dedicated city advocate. Um, and, you know, we talk about, like, people who have influence in Memphis and what that means and what responsibility that comes with. But, you know, from if you're sitting down to do your radio program, like, do you have intention around, you know, when you're saying, like, you care more about Memphis than sports, how does that manifest in your work? Like, is there a... Well... I mean, just to take, you know, a recent example, um, you know, when all the Tyree Nichols disaster is unfolding, um, I think, what can I say that's helpful? You mm -hmm. know, I mean, it be on the radio that's helpful um, or in a column that's helpful. Um, and so, and honestly, that was hard. Like, I, A, I, I do write about sports. I, I write occasionally about other things. And so, you know, it's, you don't just, it's hard to just dive into that and say something original or thoughtful or, uh, you know, that different than anyone else is saying. So I went to the protest uh, Friday night out on the bridge and I didn't really see a, something for me to write there. I, I, I was glad I was a part of it and saw it and witnessed it and all of that. But but then, so then I went to the Grizzlies game that Sunday, which was their first game. The Grizzlies, the first time the Grizzlies really <clears throat> were able to talk about it since the video was released. And, and what became very clear to me was that we talk about sports bringing people together and all that. And, 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 and I do think there's some of that is true. Um, but what really was clear to me was that the Grizzlies were struggling in exactly the same way that all of us seem to be struggling, which is 
we do, are we, it's, it's Monday, we're about to, but Sunday, we're, tomorrow's going to be Monday, we're going to go back to work, we're going to live our lives doing whatever it is we do. For them, it was a much more high profile thing that they do. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they have jobs and whatever else. How do you balance that against what you just witnessed and what we're processing? And the fact that they were so open about just sharing their own um, mix and blend of jumble of thoughts, um, I think tapped into something that, you know, made me just sort of ask in my column that I wrote for that Monday was like, how are you doing Memphis? You know, and, Mm -hmm. and that it's okay to not quite know how you're doing because, you know, and indeed the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not in a position necessarily where I can get into the granular topic of what is good or not good about the way the city is policed or the way, whatever else like that's, I'm not. I'm not dug in enough to do that, but I, I do try to think, what can I say that, or write that will be helpful? Honestly, during COVID, when sports went away, you know, I had a sports talk show two hours every day and there was no sports. <laughs> so that was like, ah, oh, those idiots are good. What are they going to talk about now? Well, I, I had epidemiologists on and I had the mayor on. And I mean, we had discussions and then we had small business people on who were trying to survive during that period. They could pitch their small business. We just completely pivoted. Um, and so there is a responsibility, I think, um, that comes with my job and, and comes with the fact that I've been here for so long. Um, but I can't, I also don't have, I know, I'm very conscious that I don't have all, not only all of the answers, I don't necessarily have many of the answers. And so um, I, I try to say something that, that, that everybody else isn't saying, but, but, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm babbling now, but I'm very, no, con- you're not, I'm, very think- con- I'm very conscious of my role in that and, and how I can possibly help, I guess. I think you steward it very responsibly. And that's, you know, I, the role of the sort of trusted longtime community voice is uh, there are fewer of them now than there there have been, um, just as the nature of media, as you've noted, changes. It's so fractured, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really comforting to have. I mean, I think there's a lot of trust in you and the, like whatever weird parasocial relationships right. people have with you as like a voice in their ear. I think right. you do a really great job of wielding that to. Well, I think point people in the right direction. It's it is true that like when I came here, and some of it is just because I inherited this this wonderful job of being the sports columnist at a major paper that everybody read. And so um, I still, to some extent, live off of the goodwill or whatever else of that job, which, mm. which is a credit to the people who had it before me and all the other journalists who did a good job of building trust in that institution. But it is interesting. Like if you moved right now to be the sports columnist at the commercial appeal or at any, that job doesn't exist anymore. The job as doesn't have that platform doesn't exist anymore. Um, and so I, I do think you're right. There's podcasts one can listen to. It's a little, it's a little bit like how you, how you digest national or world news. Now you can get all kinds of wonderful things, but we're all piecing it together. And it used to be, you know, I'm, I'm 61. So it used to be, we, you know, we'd listen to Walter, Walter Cronkite and that's where we got it. And now it's wherever you happen to get it. And that might be different than where someone else happens to get it. It is odd that sports is a, is a place. And maybe it's because we're a little less threatening because we're writing about sports all the time. Most of the time that people are willing to listen when, when we talk about other things the cliche is people are always telling you to stick to sports, but the truth of the matter is what I've found <laughs> is that people 
actually like engaging in these larger conversations. We don't really have big local talk radio stuff where people do call in and talk. And so the sports radio show becomes a place where people do that oddly in the city a little bit. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's, it, it's, it's fun. And I actually think about, um, I think about sort of stopping, right? It, it, no longer writing about sports and just writing general interest stuff at some point because, um, because it is like that's now much more. I'm much more keenly aware that, hey, I think that's needed, and it's at this point in my life and my career what I care about more. Hmm. It's a, I've I've never really been a sports fan, um, which is my parents' failing and not mine. But uh, I've really in our work here at New Memphis, we are thinking about. How is Memphis a livable and lovable place? Right. Mm-hmm. How does that lead to people wanting to be here and wanting to stay here? Right. Um, and I've really come to appreciate the role that sports play in that. Um, you know, I my time in Memphis is sort of um, aligned with the Grizzlies' launch right. today, and so to really see the way that it does galvanize people, and you know, this you know this notion of the FedEx Forum is a place where people from all walks of this city, with you know, come together with a, right. a unified purpose. Sounds really cheesy, but it's really incre- incredible how powerful that is. And I was, it was really paramount for me recently. I was, we we did some research um, specifically around college students, so students who are from Memphis but away at college, particularly right. at you know other state schools. And one of the top things we were like. Where, what are you, what, how are you making decisions about where you're going to live after graduation? And, you know, we had things like professional opportunity, like where are you going to get your job? Right. Um, green space, uh, you know, the, the size of the city, whatever. Sports was the first, the top thing. Like, the top Top thing, thing which was like, <laughs> the guys, top thing. I know. Um, you know, again, it was sort of a, like, there were qualifications, it doesn't matter. I'll show right. you this survey. It was really interesting, but it, again, it just really... Um, again, underscored for me, like, this is so important. Like, people care deeply. I'm sure company, you know, if site selectors are like, where are we going to move? Like, having a professional sports team, having a great college sports team matters. Um, And I wonder, other than people just like sports, which, duh, I guess, um, I'm I'm behind the the curve here, but what is it? Like, what is the magic of it from where you sit as somebody who is a, you know, on the front lines of it? It's funny, parenthetically, by the way, so I have three sons, and uh, my... I have my eldest son is an investment banker now in New York City, mm-hmm. and uh, but my youngest son is son is sort of traveling this same path, and he he's working. He was applying for a job at Raymond James here in Memphis in investment banking. My older son had that same job, got the job, and then when the summer was over here, he said, "Okay, great, thanks for the offer. Can I do it in New York?" Right, and so mm-hmm. and so he's working in New York. So when my younger son came along and is applying for the same job, they said you know, you're a smart kid and all that, and we might love to hire you, but we don't need to hire people who are just going to stay here for the summer and then go to New York. And the reason, so Peter had to sort of convince them that, yes, I want to be in Memphis. And it is 100% true that the Grizzlies are a big part of why he is willing and enthusiastic about being in Memphis. It's sort of, and I didn't raise my kids to be, you know, sports fans. It's just... Um, it is it is truly important to him um, in a way that it, when you say it out loud it almost seems silly, but but it is. Um, I think it's a sense of a belonging to something larger than mm-hmm. yourself, right? I mean, I think we all want to belong to something larger than ourselves, and so um, I think that is part of it. Um, 
And then, um, I don't know, it is a sense of sort of that this city, it's a silly measure of it, but that it, that it is major league and that it matters and that it's vibrant and that it is a sort of a shorthand for a lot of those yeah, exactly. things, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the bring the city together thing, which we alluded to earlier, can be slightly overdone. In other words, um, right now we're about to, they're about to celebrate at the University of Memphis, the 72-73 team, which is largely basketball team, which is largely credited with bringing the city together in the wake of the Martin Luther King mm-hmm. assassination and all of that. And I didn't, I wasn't here then, and I, and I don't doubt that it mattered a lot to people. Um, it doesn't make our social ills go away. It didn't make us become. It didn't you know, fix everything. It didn't fix everything. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't. Um, and and so you can somewhat. You can, I think we can overestimate it. I think it is. I think it is aspirational, though. Mm. You know, to say that this brought us together and this is we see this team and this is what we like. This is this is how we fancy ourselves as a community. Um, we're black and white and rich and poor and whatever we all and then we're I think I think I think there is value in having that as an aspiration and a sort of a self-image as to sort of how we see ourselves. Um, and it also does just bolster you for people who care about sports, I do think and even for people who don't, who just care about the city, I think it bolsters you in difficult times. I happen to be from Buffalo, and Buffalo has had its own run of really bad stuff. There was the horrible supermarket shooting. There was a blizzard where lots of people uh, died in the blizzard. And then there was a football player um, who was who nearly died on the field. Mm-hmm. And, and the bills throughout this um, became sort of a symbol of resilience. Mm-hmm didn't fix any of those things, but a, that people latch onto in much in the same way that I think people in Memphis latched onto this grit and grind thing. And I really do think, and I've, I've written about it extensively, I really do think that whole branding, the grit and grind branding, it wasn't about what the rest of the world thought about us. It was about what we thought about ourselves. And it, it's just another way of recasting, well, we're a town that struggles a little bit and that is, you know, a little sometimes down on our luck. And, and, but we're turning that into a positive, which this is, you know, it, it, sure, we haven't had everything handed to us, um, but we're just like Zach Randolph and just like, you know, like, and, and, and it, it, it's take, I don't know, I really do think it, it helped transform the way Memphians think about themselves. Um, I think that's absolutely true. And that narrative shift of we can do this. We are worthy of being here. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you had your life handed to you on a silver platter. Zach Randolph went from team to team to team before he ended up here. Mike Conley was the booby prize in a draft that had Kevin Durant, whatever. Uh, Marcus Gasol was a fat kid who went to Lausanne and ended up as as the little brother, you know, the little brother of the superstar pal. And Tony Allen is the lunatic. And, um, (laughs) and, and, And they together... Band this together and look what they can accomplish. Like yes, right. Amazing I mean, really people. Is. What's amazing too is that we had this group, and they didn't win a title, but they were compelling. To us and they, they did. Really were important. <laughs> yeah, they really were important. And when they were gone, you're like, well, how in the world are we ever going to have a? We might have a better team, but we can't have a team that like represents us and that we that that we connect to as well as that team. And. Kind of remarkably, we have it again in a much more electric magnetic way mm-hmm. with John Morant and this group. So 
I do think Memphis has been lucky in that regard. Do you think that that nostalgia and that kind of aspirational aspect around sports bolsters some of that individual leadership in our city and thinking that you can make a difference in the same way that maybe one person makes a difference on a team? I don't know that people directly make that connection. I will say that I think for me, when I talk about why I talk to my kids about should they live in Memphis or should they not, to me, one of the absolute best things about living in Memphis is the, is the, is the ability that you have to make an impact, 100%. Because life is not just about you know uh, accumulating things or it's not just about being in a town that has uh, the most five-star restaurants or whatever it is. Life is about feeling like you are make an impact, that you matter. Um, what, really, when I was a lawyer in my former life in Washington, D.C., and was horribly depressed, what I really was horribly depressed about was that I just felt completely fungible, like nothing that I, I could stay in bed or get out of bed. I mean, yes, my bosses would notice, but like, it didn't matter. And here, it absolutely matters. Now, do I think people connect that necessarily to with the Grizzlies or, or whatnot? The I don't know whatever, that yeah. they do. I think the Grizzlies matter more here than X team matters in X city if they got three major league teams or whatever else. I think mm -hmm. that is definitely true. Um, um, but I think, I, I don't know, do you think there is an awareness, a consciousness among Memphians that that is a great thing about Memphis, that the problems that Memphis has are also one of the, but one of the really, uh, you know, opportunities of being a Memphian? I kind of do. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Memphian. Uh -huh. um, I'm also a chosen Memphian. Um, I went away to school and came back. I do think that there is something to the same point that we've talked about it before and that you just mentioned, that that grit and grind mantra stuck. It's that other cities would say, mm, any marketing professional would say the word grit to describe your city is right. subpar. It's not a good word. Right. Don't, don't, don't right. pick don't that. Don't we've had marketing grit. professionals tell us that before. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and don't pick like, that word. That's right. not a good word Let's to, to, grit. to right. attract yeah. people right. to your city. And I think that as a Memphian... I personally enjoy that. And I think other Memphians picked up on the fact that, yeah, maybe we do have problems, but every other city has problems too. And we're willing to get out there and work for it. That grind part of it, right. we're going to work. We're really. It is also remarkable the, the the marketing professional who came up with it was Tony Allen. I know, right? <laughs> so, so that's the yeah. It's, I'm sorry, it, I sat in this absolutely hilarious. I mean, this was probably six years ago when the Memphis Brand Initiative was like uh -huh. in its infancy, and they did a they hired a firm out of New York and they did a bunch of market research like internally in Memphis and externally, and it was hilarious to like because they were like externally people don't like this, but internally people were like absolutely <laughs> you cannot like you this. cannot change yeah. it. Well, you it can also change has the, the name advantage. Of Memphis. To grit for all we care. Like. Because it came from Tony, it has the advantage of being utterly authentic, yeah. which is another thing that Memphians think of themselves as opposed to, you know, we think of all these other cities as fake prefab places and whether that's true or not about those places. One of the things we really admire about ourselves is that we're authentic and that, that slogan was certainly authentic. I definitely, I see reflected in particularly the young people who choose to come here or be here a real sense of that. And I think it is both a product of, I want to matter from a community perspective. Like I feel yeah. like I can make a difference. Yes. Um, but I think Memphis is also a city with just a real open door policy. Like there's a lot of access here. And if you want to start a business or, 
you know, serve in government or have a meeting with the mayor. Like it's a, it's something you can do here. And I think people particularly like in their twenties are sort of blown away by that. The sort of. And also, by the way, not what I would have expected as someone who was not from Memphis. Mm -hmm. I sort of, I might've thought that there was an opportunity for me to make a difference, but I would have imagined and did imagine that it was a closed off hierarchical, so, you know, that, that was sort of, I'd seen the firm. And so you're like, no, this is a, this is <laughs> not, exactly like I'm never going to break, I'm never going to break into this old, you know, small town and USA, the, yeah. what you do realize is it's literally the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's a place that's just very embracing of whatever you want to do. And right. I, I love seeing how much people just like naturally gravitate towards cheerleading for, you know, the small grocery that just opened or the, you know, anyway, the little festival you want to start. Like it just, there's a lot of energy that I, I don't think is as palpable in other cities. Um, you know, I, my ethic is like Memphis is a unique place. I I don't, we don't argue it's the best place, place, (laughs) you know, it's, (laughs) it is, you know, I I believe that in any, wherever you are, you should be giving back wherever you are. You should be a part of that community and feel a sense of obligation to leave it better than you found it. I just think that's really pronounced here. Um, and I think because of, you know, we are clear-eyed about the challenges that the city faces, and they're very real. Um, and we can, on one hand, like celebrate something fabulous like our national basketball team, and also at the same time right. r- embrace the reality that we have huge issues that other cities may not face with such. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say with such directness, but I feel like if nothing else, we are direct and we right. are sort of like we understand as that a authentic honesty yeah. about like where we are in the pecking order and just life's problems to your yeah. point. Yeah. Where our opportunities are. Did you grow up playing sports? I played tennis. I mean, I played I played uh, I played in the backyard, everything, you know, like like. Uh, it's funny though, like you said, you you're, you blamed your family for not. I don't consider it blame, but you <laughs> for not caring about sports. I have eight siblings, and none of them care about sports. And my best friend in the world uh, is an author and who lives in D.C. and he doesn't care about sports. I happened to grow up on a street that there was a bunch of kids, and at that sweet spot, with that moment, I just happened to you know. So, so I always liked sports, and then I you know, played football and hockey and baseball and whatever else in my backyard. And then I played tennis. Um, I played tennis for the high school tennis team. Um, but that's all I, I, you know, I, but I, I, I very much connected to that being a fan thing. Like Mm -hmm. when I was, it's, it's, instead of taking away my phone, which didn't exist at the when I was a kid, if I misbehaved, it was no sports section, you know, for a week. (laughs) That was literally it, like no sports section. And, um, and I thought it, when I was 10 that I'd want to be, you know, the, the guy who had his little picture in the paper who wrote about sports and all of that. And um, I had some I had some uh, detours, but I ended yeah. up doing it. So it really has been fantastic. Do you have a favorite sport? No. I, I mean, as a fan, I still care about the NFL and I care about the NHL, the hockey. But partly that's because I don't... Um, I don't cover hockey ever. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, I don't talk about <laughs> hockey. I don't. And so it's, it's still Different. totally just a fan thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas, uh, the, the stuff that I cover, I, but it never has been about, it, it literally never has been about the sport. The, 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 the work that I do has never been about the sport. Um, the stuff that's most fun is, 
Um, you know, the Olympics, I, I don't know any of those sports. You know, I, I'm covering, you know, the, every single one of those sports is a totally, you know, is an absolute mystery to me. Uh, the biathlon, I, whatever else, you know. You're, 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 I remember there was one time I was uh, Peekaboo Street, who was a skier. Mm-hmm. She was skiing her last downhill race. And so, um, so you take this bus and you go up to the top of the mountain and it turned out that we just sat there and sat there and sat there because it was snowing and it was, it was snowing too much for a downhill race because they go fast and they can't see. But I never would have imagined that. So in the meantime, there the, on a mountain on completely the other side of, I think there was Japan, honestly, the, 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 uh, the U.S. halfpipe team was sweeping to gold, silver, and bronze, and I missed the whole half. But none of those sports do I know anything about. Um, and then for me, the most meaningful stories that I write about in Memphis are, you know, they're people stories, really. Mm-hmm. They're about... And I, and, 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 and the event this past year, um, I don't even know it was a sport, but like I wrote about in the wake of Eliza Fletcher's abduction and murder, I, I run a little bit and I, I'll, I'm stopping now as much get my knees hurt, but, um, but I'm part of some running groups. And so when this woman named Danielle Heineman said in some little running groups, she said, I'm going to finish Eliza's run, mm-hmm. um, I wrote about that and I said, there's this woman who's going to finish Eliza's run. And she told me she was thinking, you know, there might be a couple dozen people out here. And, and I'm like, I think there might be more than that. And, um, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and of course that was the same week that there was the, the mass, you know, the guy driving around Mm -hmm. shooting people, whatever. And then you wondered how many people are going to show up. So I set my alarm at three in the morning and I went out to to central Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most emotional things to see all of these Memphians emerging from the dark, um, sort of from the, you know, for the, in, the, in groups, whether, and, you know, some are from Orange Mound and some are from Bartlett and someone for West Memphis and someone, and this, I don't know, it was just really emotional. And it was um, this community need to do something. And, um, you know, if I look back at the, at the columns that I wrote over the last year, the year that just ended, you know, to chronicle that uh, morning's event. And then, then of course, what had then happened is people all over the world started finishing Eliza's run. Mm -hmm. And it it was, you know, it's, it's that it's the real stuff that makes a difference more than, than any particular Memphis football or basketball game. Really. I think to the people that, like you said, that come out of all of these stories. It's for me in being a fan of your work and in being a journalism, journalism major myself that was interested in people. I was interested in telling other people's stories. I thought I didn't have to be all that interesting as long as I could just tell about other people right. who were, who were right. more interesting than myself. And that's, I love that connection in Memphis where athletics bleeds over into that community healing or that community bonding or that one person that said, Hey, I think this might help me heal. So maybe it'll help other people heal. Even if you're not a runner, even if you never have done anything like that in your life. That, that, I mean, it it honestly goes back to what we were talking about, the, the desire to have an impact. 
or the ability of the fact that you can have an impact here. She didn't wake up saying, I want to galvanize the community. She just said, I, this is something I want to do and I, that I need to do. And, uh, and it became what it, it became what it became. Um, th- this is the point you make about, I would rather write about other people than talk about myself, which is one of the, it's one of the weird things about radio as opposed to writing is writing. I get to dive into other people's lives with a real level of specificity. And that's the only thing I'm writing about that day. And, and, and it's about them and I can stay out of the way. Uh, radio, you're supposed to be an expert on everything and (laughs) it's, and you're supposed to have hot takes and you're like, and, and, and it's so odd that I have become, really more of a radio guy or as much of a radio guy as a, uh, as a writer. Um, because I, I'm like you, I sort of like the idea of, you know, highlighting other people. Shining that spotlight. We'll have a new hot take corner of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> hot take, Anna. What do you hot have? Takes. Hot take. Yeah. Anna's right. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, just curious from a, before we stop talking about sports, um, is there a, is there another like white whale when it comes to like Memphis sports? That yes, clearly, one hundred percent. I mean, what is it for? I mean, I, I, the I white whale, don't and I don't think the they're Ahab going sandwich to get is it. all I'm thinking about. <laughs> what? The Ahab sandwich, how you got renamed? Right, and right, the and we're talking sandwich. about the white whale. No, the white whale, and this is, and it's kind of difficult because. Forever in the, at, in Memphis, what mattered the most was Memphis State University of Memphis. Like that is what mattered the most. And now the Grizzlies have come along, and I think the Grizzlies are what matters the most. Although that's honestly, it's still close, and a lot of people care most about the University of Memphis. And and if you compare what the University of Memphis means in terms of sports to what the same sort of university would mean in the same sort of city, it's remarkable. Like mm-hmm. they don't care about. You know, uh, the University of Houston in Houston, like people here care about University of Memphis. Houston, University of Houston doesn't get on the front page, doesn't get talked about on sports talk shows, whatever. They're talking about the Houston Oilers and, you know, and all the other teams they have there. So University of Memphis is still incredibly important. But the biggest white whale and the biggest thing that has not happened is that Memphis has forever aspired to be in the in a conference where sports matters mm. and in, in, and not only that now where the money comes pouring in that is a TV contract where the money comes pouring in and so when I got here people would say boy wouldn't it be great if Memphis could ever get in the SEC well Memphis was never going to get in the SEC but and then it was well maybe could Memphis could get in the Big East and they did briefly um, but then it all collapsed or Memphis could get into uh, the Big 12 and the real problem is is that you keep looking around, and Louisville, which was once the great rival, you know, Louisville gets into the ACC and is sort of gone forever. And now Cincinnati and Houston and Central Florida are all going to the Big 12. And right now, as we speak today, so Memphis is left on the, on the wrong side of the wall there on this conference that really doesn't spin off any money, $6 million a year, as opposed to $60 million a year for some schools that they get from their conferences. Um, it's uh, SMU is now mm. being looked at by the Pac-12 as, as a place. That, and so then you're like, is SMU going to get, you know, get, make it over Before the wall we, too? Yeah. And so it's not about getting a baseball team. It's not about getting, I mean, the NFL, that ship has sailed. The real, and, and, and it would be incredibly important, not just for 
sports in the city, but it would also be really valuable for the university. It's why David Rudd, when he was president of the University of Memphis, one of his real points of emphasis was, let's see if we can make this happen. And I get the sense that there is, partly because it hasn't happened, there is a little bit of a setting in sense of inevitability. This may never happen. A sort of sense of exhaustion with the effort to try to get Memphis into a better conference. And, um, and it enrages me because it seems unfair. You know, it, it honestly, it does. It seems unfair. And I think Memphis gets pigeonholed. You know, people think of an urban university a certain way in a disparaging way, rather than focusing on the incredible role it actually has in changing people's lives and in, and in, and families lives and the, you know, and, um, and so Memphis has never made it over that wall. But if I could wish one thing for sports in Memphis, it wouldn't be an NBA title as that much fun as that would be. It wouldn't be, it would be for the university of Memphis to get into uh, a conference where they are, you know, they're not always just scrambling to mm. stay, to, to, to get enough money to compete. And um, so I think that's the, I think that's no, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think a lot about the ripple effect of sports from an economic impact perspective and a city branding perspective, but I mean, the university of Memphis is our, our biggest workforce pipeline or, but you right. know, I mean, like it's an engine in our city yeah, that we, we have undervalued to our, you know, demise, like for decades. And I feel like, um, the last 10 years, especially with David Rudd's leadership, I think was a key part of that. But I think the sport, like really trying to kind of coalesce right. around that sports team is, well, he, I mean, he talked about, he was, uh, at Utah when Utah got into the Pac-12 and he, and he talked about just the the fact that research dollars for mm-hmm. things totally unrelated to sports come pouring in in a way that they, that they didn't before Utah. Uh, it also it becomes, a, you know, not only are they, you know, a workforce engine for Memphis, but they can also be a magnet for talent. Yeah. And just like, as I noted earlier, like young people, Oh no, you see the university so of Alabama, yeah, exactly. whatever else like, people want to go to the university of Georgia now, because Georgia has a kick-ass football team. You saw it in Tennessee this past year. They had a great mm-hmm. year on the football field. Mm-hmm. And I gather applications were up at the university of Tennessee because it looks like fun. It looks like something you want to be a part of. It looks like all of that. So, mm-hmm. um, and by the way, the university of Memphis is, I, I really do think like my kids all played musical instruments. And so they all were, they were taught by professors and things in that, mm-hmm. like the music school is incredible. just incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously they have the new, they have the new music building opening there. Um, and, and that'll be wonderful for them. But um, I do think like so much of this, we're not aware of. I, I don't think most people know how, tremendous that music school is and um, the talent that it brings in, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, so that would be what I would wish for Memphis. Rising tide lifts all bolts. All right. Hot take round. Okay. Hot yeah. take round. This is rapid fire stream of conscious. First thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready for your hot takes? <laughs> yeah. I'm not good at hot takes though. Well, I, mean, I, I may, okay. I may filibuster. It's okay. Not, I yeah, mean, that's all right. It may not be hot. They may okay. be they may, warm <laughs> they may be Okay. Would you rather conduct a pregame interview or a postgame interview? Oh, postgame is much better because something has happened then that you're. That you're <laughs> you don't have to well, anticipate. No, what's but you're happen. like people all the time. I'm, this, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing you off here, but occasionally people say, I'll go to a game and say, Do you know what you're going to write? I said, No, why? it hasn't happened. How would I possibly know what I'm going to write? No, I have not. You don't have I just like two drafts. But like last, one right, they lost. Yeah, right. Well, it used to be. Change the first sentence. It used to be when the 
when we actually had deadlines, you know, when you had a print newspaper, in the end, it had to make it to people's driveways. And so it had to run at a certain time. So we did have drop dead deadlines. Mm -hmm. And so then you would have occasionally, like on the, you'd be writing the, the night that Memphis played Kansas in the national championship. You would be writing, because there's a complete, 12 minutes after the game ends that you have before the, cause it starts late. That's a mm -hmm. late. So you, you have to have a column ready to go. And so you have two different screens and you're bouncing back and forth saying devastating loss for the university of Memphis. And then the other <laughs> screen is saying, you know, it's finally here. They've won the title and you're going back and forth. You're writing one and then you're writing the other. And then what actually happened in that game, it very became very clear that Memphis was going to win. And so you stop focusing on the Memphis lose columns and you focus polishing up the Memphis is going to win column and then it all collapses <laughs> and then you have to use the Memphis loses column. Yeah, so like, congratulations, um, President Dewey sort of situation. Yes. All right. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. So okay. uh, yes, post game, much better post game. Um, so if you could only cover one Memphis team or athlete, in perpetuity, every day for the rest of your life, and that is it. <laughs> Which you're one would stalk it be? one Memphis athlete. Well, it's like yeah. your um, your your desert island I mean, thing. I, I, I would. <laughs> I'd find another way to make a living at that point. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Like I find that would be. I mean, Ja is the most compelling athlete, and that's the most compelling team right yeah. now. And so it would be. It would be them. But like. I had a better personal relationship with Zach Randolph than I did with Ja, for example, just because they okay. they were more accessible then. I like Zach would ask me about my family. I don't think Ja knows that I have a family. Um, <laughs> like Shane Battier was really wonderful to cover. Wonderful. He was funny and thoughtful and great and all that. But right now, the only athlete, the only answer to that very clearly is Ja. But no one would want to write about Ja twenty four hours a day. Forever. Right, forever and ever. <laughs> right. Um who was your childhood icon or hero, and have you met them? Uh, so, I mean, my sports icons, there were two. Sadly, one was O.J. Simpson. And uh, <laughs> things go, took a bad... You never, you gotta, can't trust your heroes, you yeah. know? The juice. So the juice, right. Um, Don't meet your heroes. Like, yeah. Uh, and uh, so it was Gilbert Perot was the hockey player and, and, uh, and, and the juice. Those are the two great athletes in Buffalo. But the guy who like Larry Felser was the columnist of the Buffalo news when I was a kid. And I was like, I want to grow up and be like Larry Felser. And they would run the Buffalo news would also run columns from this guy named red Smith. Well, red Smith is the most world famous sports writer who sort of ever lived. And the sort of the greatest sport, you know, the old school sports writer. And I didn't, care about Red Smith at all because he was well, he wasn't writing about the Buffalo Bills. You know, like he was writing about other stuff. But so Larry Felser, I would say, was my 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 hero, is the person that I wanted to emulate. Have I met him? Yeah, I met Larry, but but and in fact at one point after I came to Memphis, I've been here five years, that job opened. Larry retired. And they contacted oh. me about whether I would want to go back. And ultimately I decided not to. But um but that was one. I've only, I've three times I've thought about leaving. Once was a, I got offered this exact same job in Seattle. And then uh, I did not get offered this exact same job in Minneapolis, although I don't think I would have taken that either. And then Buffalo was the other one. So mm. um, I'm surprised that we kept you to, I, I'm not surprised, but to Buffalo. That's, yeah, well, it's um, cold there. Yeah. Well, I, some of it is, is that my connections to Buffalo have, I still have, I don't have much family there ah, anymore. Okay. I had lots of family there once upon a time, not okay. as much. So speaking of your family, one of um, my favorite 
of your columns that you've written was when you took your parents to Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, was there one thing that you did not that did not make the articles about it that was just a shining moment of that trip? No, I, I, it was a. It's funny. I write about when I write about my parents, you're a little self-conscious about it because everyone has parents that get older and everyone has parents and we all go through this and like, why am I writing about my parents? But um, I think people do connect um, to their own parents and their own experience with their own parents um, a little bit through my writing about my uh, parents. The um, So that's part of what made it great. But um, no, it was really, it was really fun. That was really fun. <laughs> And and the story was that that the precious safari. Yeah. So my mom had never been uh, the story. If you you Google it if you want, and I don't think it's subscription only, so you can read it. It's yes. a good column. It it's is. Fun. It's, it's good. A sweet column. It was really sweet. And um, but mom had never been on a safari, and so the one of the people who helped her when she got you know, well into her nineties. She, at some point she said, like, looks like I'm probably not going to get to a safari. So this woman said, you know, you could go to animal kingdom and Disney, mm-hmm. which is a lot like a safari. And so we had this idea. My dad had no desire to go to animal kingdom. <laughs> he was like 98 at the time or something. He was 97, I think. But anyway, as they were flying down, my sisters, two of my sisters and I took them as they were flying down, dad had a stroke on the plane. Yeah. And so it became quite exciting the whole thing i mostly spent the time in the hospital with dad where his mom was in it but he did we all got to animal kingdom in the end it has a happy ending from that perspective and um as we were uh i mean i you know as as we were in the in the uh ambulance going from the airport to the hospital they were trying to assess his um you know, how his capacities, my dad's capacities. And so they asked him who was president. And dad said, that darn Trump. (laughs) (laughs) So they they figured. Be careful, you're in Florida, sir. Right, exactly. (laughs) Right. So they left him by the side of the road. And that was that. that. (laughs) It's a fun little column. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that was just so precious, the way that there was. um, Sorry, this is not. No, it's one of my favorite columns. One of my favorite columns. (laughs) The least lightning, the least hot of the hot takes. This is my kind of lightning. (laughs) Your lukewarm takes. Um, And then my final one is the best sports advice that also applies to life generally. So, do you have any of those like sports cliches? Like always keep. No, but it is funny. Like I don't know. I don't have a best one. (laughs) I think at all. Like what? You want to. Some of the sports advice is so ridiculously obvious and cliche. Everything that is said about sports advice is said so many times over and over and over that it becomes cliche. Yes. Um, But it did occur to me, like just last night, for example, so the Grizzlies in the midst of this, they'd won 11 straight games, and now they had lost eight of nine, and uh, and Dylan Brooks had been thrown out uh, of a game for hitting someone Mm -hmm. he shouldn't. And Aja is getting criticized for all kinds of things, whatnot. And then they were losing last night too, mm-hmm. and they rallied to win. And uh, but things were really kind of dire. And uh, Dylan Brooks was getting booed, yeah, and all yeah, of this yeah. stuff happened. And um, boo Memphis for that. And um, and uh, boo Memphis for that. Agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, and Taylor Jenkins was totally cliche. He said we had to embrace. We have to embrace the adversity. And. I sort of thought about that, but I do think that, so like in today's column, I wrote that 
it has been a magical time for the Memphis Grizzlies, but life is just not all magic. It's not. Mm-hmm. And you get criticized and you get booed and you get, and you as I, as I said, some of the, some of the worst criticism, this, this is the truest line in that column today. Some of the criticism that's hardest to bear is the justifiable criticism is mm-hmm. this is the criticism like personally for me like that. And so I do like, I do try to relate everything a little bit to the broader world. Um, it can be simplistic, um, but but I, I, you know, there's, there's obviously not direct lines there. Um, but yeah, sometimes. But I think that's right. And I have some of this, like Nick Saban will go on and on and on about how you can just, you've just got to be, you know, focus on the process. Just focus on the process, not the result, the process, not the result, the process, whatever it is. If, but I hear my, the, the son who I was talking about earlier, the youngest one, he talks about school like that now. Like, really, yes, you want to get an A, but the focus can't be on getting the A. The focus has to be on, okay, this is what I do when I read the books and take notes. Like, I, I, I do think there's a lot of stuff that does translate, but I do not have one that you like have cross stitched on a pillow somewhere. On my, yeah, yeah. not cross stitched okay. on a pillow. Okay. I have not cross stitched it yet onto a pillow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you next. so much for. I was like, oh, was, that, nice was that the last of that? Yeah, that was. Nice. I was like, I feel like we're taking up a ton of your time, yeah. but we're no, so no, grateful. And I'm a Thanks. a budding sports fan now, but a, a verified Jeff Collins uh, fan. Nice so to, thank you nice so much for coming. Uh, thanks very much. All right. Well, thanks again to Jeff Calkins for making it into the studio today. Um, obviously, if you'd like to read more about Jeff's work, uh, he is at the Daily Memphian. Uh, you can go to their website. Um, some of his uh, articles are behind a paywall, uh, but I definitely encourage all of you to uh, subscribe to the Daily Memphian, an incredible asset here. Um, we just here at New Memphis finished up a big weekend. Yes. Uh, Anna looks tired. Yes. You know, <laughs> for other reasons than just the regular reasons. You know, her, you know, toddler daughter, but, but also we had a busy TEDx Memphis conference over the weekend. Thanks to everybody who came out and joined us at Crosstown Theater. It was an incredible day. Uh, As usual, we had a just star-studded lineup of TED speakers this year to share um, their big idea we're sharing. So uh, we will have those TED videos up on our website, newmemphis.org, soon. Links to all of those. You can watch them for free on YouTube. Um, but really incredible. We'll, so look forward to hearing that. We've got lots of great events coming up. As always, go to newmemphis.org, check out the events page, come and join us. We'd love to see you in person. But until then, uh, this has been another episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. We are here from New Memphis, your local nonprofit, making sure that Memphis is a place that is livable and lovable. And we're happy to say that today on this Valentine's Day. So uh, have a great week, Memphis, and we will talk soon. All right. Bye. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.